You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Hey, punks. How's it going? Yeah, punks. That's what I called you. Now, depending on who you are, you may not find punk to be a derogatory term. Like many insults, the term punk became embraced, hence the punk rock movement. It's now a very uh, positively associated term for many of us, and even Christian punk. Even Christian punk music, like Tooth & Nail Records, like MXPX, like all those bands. We're going to talk about them today, and we're going to talk about them with the founder and owner of Tooth & Nail Records, Brandon Ebel, who has done a lot, any way you look at it, for the punk rock movement. Now, when you're in a band, one of the most special days and weeks is release week. It's when you have a new album that comes out. Everybody can get it. The reviews are out. You get your first week numbers. It's very exciting. And you, it only happens a few times. We've Even Emory, we've been in for 10 years, and we've only released a few records. We've only had a few days and weeks that were release weeks. But now, with BC Music, we get to be a part of other bands' releases as well. It's a tremendous feeling. Today is the release day for King's Kaleidoscope's first full-length LP, and we get to be part of that along with Tooth & Nail. That's a big deal. Also, the Classic Crimes new album on BC Music is out today as well. So we've been working really hard on both of these to get to this point. We've been marketing, we've been advertising, we've been doing artwork, we've been trying to uh, do publicity and everything we can do to get this music out to other people and celebrate it and partner with those bands. It's a thrill. Thank you guys for supporting me. If you've pre-ordered already, awesome. If you supported a crowdfund, that's great. But if not, it's just two albums. I don't think that's too much for you to go pick up first week. Maybe you're the kind of person who buys one record a week. Well, this week, buy two. Get the King's Kaleidoscope record. Get the Classic Crime record. You can get them at our website, badchristian.com, and you can get them pretty much wherever it is that you buy your music. And now you get to listen to me and a pastor and a Christian music label owner and a worship leader talk for an hour and a half. Yeah, that does sound frightfully boring, but let's try it anyway. Yeah, I think I'm ready. Three. Two. One. Oh, y'all thought it wasn't coming, but here it is. Bring it, Joy. <laughs> Joey, jump in any second. <laughs> Joey, help me out. Joey, help him out. Joey. His name is Joey. Just like y'all leave me hanging sometimes, I'm going to leave you hanging on that one. You leave your belly hanging over your belt, you piece of shit. <laughs> Welcome to the Bad Christian Podcast, folks. My name is Matt. You're on the line here with Toby and Joey as well. Joey, what do you mean we leave you hanging? What are you talking about? Yeah, what uh, do you mean? Hey, no, really tell us. You guys, you guys do it, and it's justified. A lot of times, I say things and shouldn't, but sometimes it's just for a joke. But y'all do leave me hanging, and I always try to bail you guys out. And I was just like, you know what? I'm not bailing Toby out on that one. You didn't tell me what you're gonna do. It was just a little crazy, and I was watching you, and I was just like, what is he doing? And I honestly, I don't feel good. You can tell my voice is a little bit off, and so. Well, it was really hard for me to beatbox and see Joey looking at me, especially like he was looking over the olives and pepperoni on his pizza, staring. Oh at me. yeah. And so I don't like that. I don't like it when you stare at me like over your food. Yeah, so, it's rude. So could you not do that anymore, Joey? Joey was shaking his head. He doesn't quite realize yet that you, if you shake your head, that people can't hear you. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't have pizza. Well, I mean, it's a hoagie. You're right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, is that funny? They got a laugh out of you? Matt, how are you doing? Can I shift this conversation to you? Yeah, you can shift it you to doing? me. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm in an experiment right now that I'm going to let our podcast listeners uh, participate in. Okay. And uh, so it goes like this. I, it has a little bit of something to do with my iPhone. I got a new iPhone this week. I got the new iPhone 6. How did that happen? Your contract's up? You didn't tell me that. Well, that's part of the story. You're going to have to sit back and listen here. So I'm excited to hear the story. I'm not eligible for a full upgrade, but I was going to pay the difference. It was going to be like an extra 100 or 200 for me to get a phone, but I wanted one so bad. So basically, I had sold all our old computers and our iMac and a couple of old iPhones and had, you know, seven or $800 worth of cash in my pocket. So I found one at Target. I went down there. I told the guy I thought I was probably eligible for some kind of early upgrade, something, but I didn't know how much it would cost. And he looked, and he didn't know much. It was just the the guy at Target. And so he looks on his thing and goes, hey, it says you're eligible for an upgrade, which I knew I was not. I didn't think that I was. Right. So he said, okay. I said, all right. Well, all right. Sounds good to me. So I was like, all right, I'm going to get this for a good deal. And then I paid for it, and he started activating it, and then it took like, 15 minutes to get it approved to AT&T and they didn't approve it and then he had to call the lady and then I heard him call an attendant over and I knew what was happening they were figuring out that I wasn't really supposed to be but they had told me that I was so I just stayed, right. stayed quiet and then they pushed it through and I actually got my phone for the 199 and as if I was eligible for an upgrade and they told me that something went weird but they just pushed it through and hopefully nobody gets in trouble I said alright as long as Y'all are okay with that, so I got th- I got really hooked up there, um, with a you know hundred hundred fifty two hundred dollars off of my phone upgrade. So that's great Dang. news. Now here's where I paid the price. The next day, s- Sunday morning, I get up, didn't go to church. Instead, I took my daughter to a bar to watch football. <laughs> so we went down to Buckley's to watch the Seahawks and the Packers game at the same time. So I loaded up uh, diapers and stuff like that, and so me and George went down to watch the game. Sure enough, Georgia breaks mommy's iPad screen oh while I'm watching no. football. Like I sold my old Apple stuff, now I'm going to get this new stuff. And then sure enough, within the next day, God got me back, and I have to replace the screen on that glass. So I know it's just payback for getting getting that hookup of a deal. So I take a, I've got that cash in my pocket still from selling the old iPhone stuff. So I take it down, and I go to the place, and it's going to cost $150 to repair the screen. Now, I did not tell Bridget because I have all this cash right. and the stuff I sold. So I haven't I haven't showed her the iPad. I already dropped it off, and I'm supposed to go back tomorrow and pick it up. And she still hasn't asked, where's my iPad? So she doesn't know. Okay. Okay? So the experiment is, here is, does Bridget ever <laughs> listen to the podcast? <laughs> number one. And experiment number two, I want to find out the character of all my friends that listen to the podcast. Are they loudmouths? Or are they going to do me a solid and not tell my wife? So we'll see how you podcast listeners that know my wife respond. Will you tell her about this deception or will I get away with it? Or or does she you listen to the podcast? To I don't know. Tell your dang wife. Well, we'll I'm not see. Tell. We'll see. I'm well, putting it I'm putting it out there, and I'm going to see if I have loudmouth friends or if my wife listens to the podcast. That's the two things I'm going to find well, out. Well, speaking experience. of broken phones, I Matt, you know that my phone has a very bad broken screen, and now it's messing up so badly that 
if I like sometimes my phone, I won't even touch it, but I, I guess it's like static will make all kinds of letters. Like if I'm trying to type a text or something like that, it'll just say like F F F F L L L L L G G G, you know, whatever, all this stuff. And mm-hmm. so the other day, I put my phone into my pocket. And when I take it back out, <laughs> this is a true story. I did not do this. I open, I turn on, my phone is on, and it is an email getting ready to be sent <laughs> to like six different people. And <laughs> the, the actual meat of the email is like all these crazy letters. But the the actual uh, like uh, title of the email, the subject of the email, is just the word fag. F A G. And it literally, if I wanted to pull it out of my pocket, it would have got sent to like six different people, and it would just said that. And I was like, I I, I don't know how, what would I have said. I have promised my phone is just acting up. I mean, I don't think they would have believed. Like one was like our 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 booking agent Amanda. Like she was the first one. I was like, what would she th- have thought if I would have sent this to her? Like, would she have thought I was calling her that? I couldn't believe it. I, I would have like Im- immediately tried to call you or somebody near you because I would assume that you were having a seizure and that was the only thing you could do to <laughs> yeah, ask maybe for help. so, but I, I couldn't believe it. Listen, listen to what happened to me. I was uh, walking out of uh, – I, I was walking into a gas station this morning, and uh, – I know this sounds really weird, but I I grew up around a lot of black folks, and I just love being around. I like I. Some people would say, "Well, that's kind of reverse racism to to kind of be like, you know, take a a race and say you really like them and stuff." But I just I don't I don't have any problem with distinguishing one race from another because there are you know characteristics that are you know in certain cultures and stuff, and I love being around black people in the South. So there was a bunch of guys, probably 40s, uh, in their 40s and 50s, and they were drinking coffee, smoking cigarettes, hanging out, you know, getting ready to go to work and just laughing and all this stuff. So I go into the gas station, get a pack of gum, <clears throat> and it's kind of more of a, a redneck dude, you know, older guy, long hair and that sort of thing. So I'm just kind of shooting the breeze with him, and I, I literally said to him, I was like, nice little party going on out there. And I'm telling you, if he didn't explain for a whole minute defending them, he said stuff like, oh, they're harmless. They're drinking coffee. (laughs) He said they're drinking coffee, shooting the shit, but they're good people. And it was almost like he thought thought that you were saying something. Yeah, like he was talking to me like, these are good guys, man. Just chill out. Cut cut them a break. They're out there. So I think he was telling you, don't worry. These aren't the bad black people. I kind of thought that that he thought that I was kind of being a racist, but honestly, I think he was the racist. I think he was trying to justify, like, no, they're good. They're good folks and everything. But it was one of those things to where I could have been like, hey, I just just said they were having fun. They look like they're having a party. I didn't, you know, mean any harm by it, but I just walked out. I was just like, ah, this guy thinks that I was annoyed by them and everything, but. It's crazy in the South, man. I mean, it's just a whole I don't know place. if it's just the South either. I was actually thinking about the idea of racism this week and just, like, I would love for all of our listeners or I wish everybody in America would just actually, do you, let me ask, let me put it to you this this way. Joey and Matt, do you think that every, everybody in go. America has had a racist thought? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, so everybody... On a certain level, could be at, if you, the Ray, taking the Ray Comfort route. <laughs> have you ever thought of ever had a racist thought in your life? Well, then you're a racist. 
Yeah, he should add yeah, that, that one. Yeah, to he his should. Spiel, he really yeah. should. But I just think like it it's so blown out of proportion, I think I get a little bit perturbed because like I believe that there's racism and I believe that for sure I know that I've listened and told like a racist joke before. I believe that a lot of people have and I, what I'm saying is when you think about racism is it immediately everything's equated to like KKK cuz that's that's awful. Yeah. And that really is terrible. And I would even say maybe all racism is awful, right? I think everybody would say racism in in, in any form is bad for sure, but my my point is I think a lot of times like I I grew up just around uh, you know, I heard the N word from family members. I heard it from friends. I heard it from, and th- and that, oh, yeah. that's just uh, you know the N word. I've heard tons of every race. I've heard made fun of, including white. So my entire life, I've heard all races being made fun of, and at the same time, I never want to like hurt another person because of their race. I never want an- another race to be held down and not succeed or anything like that. And at the same time, I, I mean. You probably like I. Be, I really believe you might could label everybody in America, potentially the world, a racist. Yeah. By a certain criteria, right? Toby, I've got a simple question to ask you, and I've been wondering about this, and it's cool because we didn't have to say save it for the podcast because I did save it for the podcast. You're hearing it for the first time. You have not been near as much as an asshole on the podcast. When we're talking about people, you haven't lost your cool as much. Have you set out to be nicer on the podcast, or it just so happens the content that we're dealing with doesn't like ruffle your feathers as much? Or nicer to who? No, the guests or to just you? Just about sensitive topics and getting frustrated. And you know, if we talk about the church, he doesn't, you know, lose his mind and stuff like that. I mean, I, it seems like maybe we talked about some crazy issues earlier when we were doing the podcast that just rubbed you the wrong wrong way like christians and divorce and all that sort of thing no it's it still really does get me i I have been really thinking through a lot lately and we don't you know we're not going to go into it now because it would take forever but just really 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 been thinking about (laughs) only elementary students say that but okay really 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 uh, you would probably write that in a professional paper too. I really, really, <laughs> Toby and I just had Mexican food, and he had the juice at the restaurant, and now <laughs> you had the juice in the bathroom, and you're about to pass out of sleep on the couch right now. <laughs> you're you're helpless, miserable. <laughs> this is awful. This is awful. This is awful. It's an awful podcast. It's an awful person I'm sharing this room with. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's just disgusting. I don't appreciate it. You ask me a question, I can't even answer it. And you're breathing heavily into the mic, laughing. And he's completely yeah, cracked. I mean, himself nobody's up. made you laugh except for he you. He's completely cracked he himself laugh. up. Nobody's <laughs> talked in two minutes, and you're dying laughing at what you he have couldn't even beatbox at the beginning of the <laughs> podcast. But now he's wheezing, <laughs> laughing at his joke about me. All right, so answer the All question. All right, so t- the episode. T- no, we don't have time for that. That ep- you've wasted too much time laughing at yourself. <laughs> so the episode today, I'm gonna let everybody know is we have Brandon Ebel on the show, and we sat down with him a little bit ago, the three of us and him in the room at my house, 
And we had such a good time talking that we talked for a really, really long time. So the interview, I think a lot of y'all will be happy, is a pretty long interview and we get to go pretty in depth. So we're not going to waste any more of your time here. So business-wise, tomorrow is a big, big day yes, for BC is. Music. Yes, it is. The classic rhyme. The classic <laughs> our new hip hop artist. The classic rhyme. The classic rhyme. The classic crimes album comes out tomorrow. It'll be available everywhere. Go buy it at iTunes. It's in stores. That's a big deal. Also, King's Kaleidoscope comes out tomorrow, and we're re- releasing that in conjunction with Tooth and Nail. So you'll be able to get Huge that anywhere day. as well. Both of Huge them. Huge it's a big deal. It's funny that they wound up being on the same day, but that's just the way the cookie crumbles. So uh, those are both going to be incredible albums. Please support the bands, and it helps support us. So we're tr- we're trying to make a big splash. We really think we'll have some good first week numbers, and the music industry will take notice of, of what we're doing. And you know, we'll really put ourselves and BC Music and this community that we so are what's the on best the map. So thank you guys for doing so far. What's the best way for them to get their hands on those albums? Not, we're not going to overly manage it. We're going to say get it wherever you buy music. If you're an Amazon person, go to Amazon. If you'd like to go down to the store and buy it, they may or may not be in this store, but they're definitely in some stores. So I would just do whatever it is that you normally do for music, and we'll yeah, assume like that If you like to use an illegal torrent site that really hurts us financially and, hurt and cripples classic crime, do it. Then do your thing. Do, it. do your Live thing. Your if you, if you're into crippling musicians' <laughs> careers and just for a few minutes of auditory entertainment, yeah, more, go for more it. power to you. That's what we want you to do. More power to you. So yeah, so that's business thing number one. Um, number two, our ebook. We have a firm release date for yep, it, it, right, is Joey? November the 11th. The M word. November the 11th. Our book, The M Word is coming out, and that is uh, Real Stories from Women About Sex Addiction, Masturbation, and Pornography. So it's a collection of stories that we've had uh, sent in to us from women uh, just to let you guys know and just give some perspective on the fact that men aren't the only ones that deal with, think about, struggle with pornography, sex, and so-and-so. So we're representing them. That's going to be free. When I was reading over these stories, uh, kind of like a last read-through, and our our team has done a lot of work. Uh, Shout-outs to to our our team. Just awesome job. But, I mean, I seriously, I could not hold back the tears. Just the stuff that real people go through. I mean, you're in for, I would say, an an awesome, interesting read. But more than anything, you're just in in for a real depiction of real shit that happens to real people where real healing needs to take place. And not all of these are cookie cutter, happy endings where everyone goes home happily ever after. Cause that's not real world either, but it's just, I want to really tip my hat to these girls for taking the time to share their stories and being cool with it being put out. Because even though they are remaining anonymous there, there's going to be people in their little uh, circle of life that know who they are and read it and, and find this stuff out. So yeah, no, I think it's going to be really good. I'm happy with it, and that will be free. It'll be available from our website, and you know, if you want to give us a tip or pay something for it, then we will accept that. That'll be made available, but it'll be a no-guilt, free download. We want to try and make everything we do that we can, uh, that we control, we're going to try and make it free, just like this podcast is. So that's uh, two big business things. I don't know if there was another one or not, but that's pretty well, good. Um, oh, yeah, we do have our sponsor, X3 Watch, that we need to tip a hat to and talk about just for a second. We'll be into yeah, the interview. I have. Uh, I, I was thinking this um, earlier today, and I thought to myself, I am really motivated uh, not to look at porn um, 
because of X3 Watch and because of this podcast, because I know I would have to end up sharing it to everyone because that's what we do. And here's the thing is I almost feel guilty that that's a huge motivation. But deep down inside, I know that I don't want to look at porn and that it's bad for me. And so I, I guess I give it a thumbs up that even if it's a shallow, superficial, yeah, but I don't want to have to do that, that almost yeah, it's still, still a win, and I know my deepest desire is to stay away from this stuff, uh, but I almost felt guilty, mm-hmm. like, man, that that's a huge part of my motivation, but that's what accountability is for. Well, the thing is, is what that <laughs> is, it, it'd be the same thing as you would never want to look at pornography and masturbate in front of people. <laughs> you know, you know like what I mean? Like, hey, hey by the way, yeah, pass me the gravy, I'm going to look at th- this booby, raw, raw boob, and masturbate to it. Right. I mean, you would never want to do that. So that's what accountability yeah. is. That's what you're doing right now. You don't want people to, uh, you don't want to do that in front of people. So that's why you are refraining from doing that. It's the same thing. And so I think that's yeah. really good. It's not bad to but to use yeah, community and to use uh, people to help you to not do stuff. That's right. what everything, any addiction or anything that you're susceptible to, you need others to help you to stop it Definitely. that you don't want to do. So x3watch.com forward slash bad Christian and you get the premium subscription uh, for half off for a whole year so go out and get it we believe porn is just not good for anyone and that by the way is is software we have to say it every time because we have new listeners that is software that's on our phones tablets and computers across all our devices that monitors our internet browsing and alerts people that we ask it to whenever we look at pornography or anything that would be objectionable should we happen to, to click into it or stumble into it and it, it blocks the stuff as well so if I try to go to a site that is not approved it'll come up on my screen and say you got blocked sucker and then Toby and Joey will get an email about that so we, we count that as a good thing because it's like when you're surfing the internet by yourself you're not actually really by yourself your actions matter your browsing habits matter the stuff that you consume matters we believe and it's not the be all end all just to modify our behavior but it is an important thing and, and we've it said it before us. either get x3 watch or um cut your thing off cut, chop off your johnson <laughs> or plug your plug your vagina <laughs> <It's> fine <'cause laughs> <laughs> i don't want to leave the ladies I was, out i kept you had purpose because i was waiting for toby to speak up for the girls I, <laughs> I just i don't know why it always has to be about a wiener can't we talk about something else yeah we can all right i'll tell you what let's do let's listen to a track from the new king's kaleidoscope record this one's called dreams so let's not spend a bunch of time talking over or about the track we'll let it speak for itself but we want you to know you can buy it so go buy this album start downloading it on itunes while you're listening to it that would be cool once in a while i close my eyes drifting to sleep you come alive my heart begins to sing in tune Suddenly all I see is you Sunlight and moonbeams And forest and ghost dreams The colors of your world
All right, folks, that is King's Kaleidoscope, Becoming Who We Are. It's in stores now. It's online now. You can get it everywhere. This record is wild. Pick it up right now. It's full of surprises. There's like 16 or 17 daggum tracks on this record. Go get it right away. I'd also like to say that tonight at the legendary Crocodile Cafe in Seattle, Washington, is the King's Kaleidoscope CD release party. I'll be there. Come see us. There's still tickets available. And don't forget to pick up the CD, vinyl, T-shirt, whatever it is. Support King's Kaleidoscope. Support awesome music. Awesome. And one more thing I want to tell you before we get going with this interview, and that's to keep in mind, or go browse during this interview with Brandon, nonewkindastory.com. That's the name of the documentary about Tooth & Nail Records that chronicles its beginnings and all the stuff that went on in the early years all the way up through today. It's available on Blu-ray, DVD. You can order it right now. There's also a coffee table book that is a nice Really nice book on heavy stock paper, super high quality. There's only 1,000 of them made, and you can order that right now. We're going to talk about it a little bit in the interview, but I just want you to have a heads up on it. I want to promote it really well for Brandon and Tooth and & Nail. You can go to merchline.toothandnail.com and find this stuff. So go browse it while you're listening to this interview with Brandon. And we're back. All right. We are live with Brandon Ebel, founder yeah. owner of Tooth and Nail. And Brandon, yes. don't panic, Brandon, when I say we're live. I just mean live. We're all together. Yeah, don't, in, we are not broadcasting it. over the Internet. We've been hanging out with Brandon for a little bit. Uh, we were at a bar. Brandon, is it okay if we say we were at a bar? No. Can you please not say that? <laughs> yeah, sure. We were no. at a bar. <laughs> We've been hanging out with Brandon for a little bit, and he's he's super worried because he's going to be on the Bad Christian podcast of what questions we're going to ask him and what how bad we're going to make him and look. And edit he that out. <laughs> <laughs> and he wants us to edit a bunch of stuff out. But uh, are, you, are you nervous to be on our show, really? No, not at all. Okay. You didn't seem nervous. Like, when we were at the bar, we walked out, and in the back alley, you were snorting coke off a dead hooker's ass. So <laughs> that was totally stories. <laughs> Wait, that was Joey. Pastor Joey. Who is eating chili right now? We have to set the we have to set the tone here for a minute. Yeah, people don't understand the, what Joey's going through. Picture for the people. Joey actually, uh, <clears throat> so Joey and I flew here today, and Joey has uh, severe both double ear ear infection. I don't know. You'd have to ask Doctor Clifford that. I think it's just one. Okay, but you can't really hear right now, right? What'd you say? <laughs> Please say <laughs> and, this here. And, and Joey, what are you doing right now? Eating chili. Eating. <laughs> Joey's eating chili. You can hear the spoon clanking, I'm sure, into the microphone. And, and Matt's dog, Reggie, just ate all of Joey's antibiotics, and Joey's a little upset about it. Oh, I kind of messed my book bag up, too. It was a brand-new book bag, and there's like— You can't even say that word. <laughs> there's like chewy dog holes all over it and stuff, so no big deal. It's a okay. book bag. All right, so Brandon lives in the same neighborhood I, d I do in Seattle. We live right down the street from each other, so we thought it'd be great while Toby and Joey are here in town to get with Brandon and talk about his new book coming out, the Tooth and Nail book, and the movie coming out, right? Yep. What is the name of the book and movie? No New Kind of Story, which is an actual title of a Starflyer 59 song. Mm -hmm. And um, basically the movie is a synopsis of the first seven or eight years of Tooth & Nail Records. And um, 
we've worked on it for four years off and on, and it's finally done, and it's pretty cool, I think. And so we're putting it out, and we also put out a coffee table book as well with uh, that it's, it's going to come with the movie, and it's pretty cool as well, I think. Now, is the movie going to be shown in a theater? Are you going to do like an actual release, or would it just be DVDs? Uh, we're going to do Blu-ray, DVD, at some point Netflix, Amazon. We'll probably That's put cool. it on our YouTube at some point as well. And then, yeah, we're going to do some kind of a premiere in a movie theater here in Seattle, though we're still working on all that Is it true time. that Matthew McConaughey plays Toby Morrell in the movie? Yeah, Matthew McConaughey. Yes, exactly. Awesome. What's the rating on the movie? <laughs> Is it NC-17? NC-17. Well, yeah. How gritty does it get? It's NC-17. I mean, I take my shirt off at one point. That alone. <laughs> it's All right, very so, good. Brent, Brandon, let's, let's back up into our hey, history. Hey, before we even okay. go here, we, we've got someone that wrote in um, a couple weeks ago, and he just wants to know why there hasn't been a huge church revival breakout through Tooth and Nail. Because of Tooth and Nail. Yeah, what's wrong with you, man? Where, that's where Joey was asking, when you did start Tooth and Nail, you, you did or did not intend to start a Christian label. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, 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 really, I really don't know. I really don't know how far I was I thinking ahead. I, I, I don't mean that in a loaded What's way. What's the I'm 2020 music? I don't really know if I was thinking that far ahead. So for me, Tooth and Nail has always been about bands that I love. It's been about music and you know, being a Christian, I definitely want to support people that have a worldview that's similar to mine. But, you know, I mean, when you look at Christianity and all the different denominations of Christianity and this and that, you know, um, to just say you were a Christian record label and that everyone was on the same page would be an impossibility. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I think what's and, curious and is we were when we were just having drinks, you mentioned a lot of bands that people thought were Christians at the time. And, you know, background knowledge that they weren't. And I worked at Family Christian Store. And they were all over that store. And if you would have told customers at the time, yeah, these aren't Christian bands, they would have been like, they, they's got to Well, I mean, I think the records that we had sold in Christian bookstores, my policy was the lead singer had to be a Christian. Because we had, you know, records we put out that we didn't sell at Christian yeah. bookstores as well. But then, as the, as the label had evolved and got more popular, we had put out a band on Tooth and Nail. And if the band wasn't Christian... The Christian bookstores would go find it at one stop, even if we didn't sell it, <laughs> yeah. and they'd still sell it. That's so crazy. Wait, so you, so very you the lead singer, had to be Christian. That was just that's what you felt comfortable. Well, with. yeah. So why was Emory sold in Christian bookstores? Well, that oh, is the biggest atrocity of <laughs> all so, time. But yeah, that's crazy. So do you, to you, it doesn't matter if it's a Christian band, but just for your personal comfort level, you you felt like for music you were going to be putting out there into the the world. At least you wanted the lead singer or somebody to share a worldview well, okay. similar so to yours. When I start, so basically before I started To The Nail Records, you have to go back and look at my history, right? My dad's a pastor. I grew up in the church. Uh, my parents are not super legalistic, and they trust me. They give me trust, and thus with that trust, I think I did a good job for being in school and and um, was really into music, and I loved all kinds of music, and I really loved New Wave. I loved all the 80s bands, but, you know, I could, didn't have a lot of money or didn't have a lot of access to go to a lot of the shows. My parents would have probably let me, but it wasn't easy. Meanwhile, I also really appreciated the idea of Christian music or artists that were singing about their faith, but it was really pop-oriented. Like, it was very um, in its own little bubble. But as I grew up, I realized there were a lot of bands that were in the Northwest. I grew up in Portland, Oregon, that were trying to go out and do really cool indie rock or heavy metal, you know, hardcore type music, but have some kind of a message. And I appreciated that, you know. So I started a radio show at uh, Oregon State University on KBVR, KBeaver. We are the Beavers, no mm -hmm. big deal. 
and uh, had a show and, you know, just played all the cool bands. At that time, you know, like Green Day was on uh, down in San Francisco. They had a Kerr Plunk album on Lookout Records. And, you know, there was Nirvana that was on Sub Pop before they were signed and all kinds of cool Northwest bands. And then I would play all those bands on my show. But then I incorporated a lot of cassette tapes of of bands. Of What was your time slot? Well, I started out at from two to five in the morning. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Was uh, well, you, know, you gotta yeah, get your you foot in the door somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. And uh, my show is called the Thirsty Moon River Show. Uh -huh. Nice. So that's where Thirsty Moon Publishing comes from. Correct. Yes. That's great. I never. And knew And I was taking a, a drama class at Oregon State, and I had to go up to do. My drama teacher was like, "You must go up, and I will whisper in your ear something to act out in front of the class." And you know, this guy was like a total pothead or whatever. Yeah. And, He's like one of those guys where he's bald on top and then long hair shooting out the back. <laughs> and he comes up to me and goes, Brandon, act out Thirsty Moon River. <laughs> and I was like, that's like quite possibly the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> so then I named my radio show that. And then, uh, yeah, my first publishing company was called Thirsty Moon River. So. so when you're starting Tooth and Nail Records and you start signing bands and you realize you have a real thing and you're signing really bands that people like and, and money's coming in, do, do you think to yourself at that time, I am going to make an impact on Christianity as a whole or change culture or I need to be accountable to the principles of Scripture or like, you know, where, were you, where in your head did being a Christian come into putting out these records? How, wh where did that cross over? Um, God, that's, a, that's an interesting question. There was no real huge mission statement with Tooth & Nail. Basically, I started the label because I wanted to help support artists that were Christians create their art originally. And my philosophy was, hey, if someone's a Christian, and you know, and th if that meant just the guy, you know, lead singer who's writing the lyrics, wanted to have some kind of a, a message that he want to put out, Christian worldview in in our little scene, I would help put out their record, you know. And um, if that made sense, I would try to get it into Christian bookstores. And that was basically the extent of the whole goal of the of the company to start with. At the same time, I also had said, hey, I was going to put out bands that weren't Christian as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did a little bit of that, but the thing took off so quickly to the nail blew up so fast that basically it almost took on a, a personality or a, of its own where. So it's its own like reputation kind of yeah. preceded itself. Let me introduce you in that sense. If people don't know Brandon, he, he's super successful at tooth and nail and that stuff. But beyond that if you know him as a person he's he's just always thinking he's thinking ahead he's thinking about well how much is how much is that worth and what happens if this happens and if, if that you know he's really interested in uh in people and what and what's going on with them in this entrepreneurial kind of way and you do real estate and other stuff as well right yeah i mean the last four or five years i've been doing a lot of real estate yeah so so brandon is somebody who just and it's, it's really kind of bizarre coming from somebody who is it's a you're a preacher's kid and you don't come from like a you know, Wall Street family or anything. No, like yeah, that. no. My, yeah, but, my. but you just have this laser beam focus where you can recognize stuff and, and what the demand and supply and just stuff like that. So you've had that since you were a little kid? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know if it's like, uh, you know, I've always just kind of enjoyed trying to take something to the next level. Like yeah. uh, when I was a kid, my parents were like, hey, you should do a lemonade stand. And so, uh, you know, about three weeks into the summer, they realized that I'd set up five lemonade stands <laughs> at every at every construction worker site. Are you serious? Yeah, in my you? neighborhood. Well, what's your motivation there? Is like to, to make nine. Money I don't know. I just, just thought to take things well, it was just one plus one so equals two. I'm like, so I set it up in front of my house yeah. and no one really came. So then I went and set it up in front of this um, 
construction work site and I sold all the lemonade. <laughs> so then I got all my friends and I paid them each 50 cents to run all these other booths and I supplied all the lemonade. And next thing you know, we were just dominating. <laughs> For sure, I think you're one of those guys that if you had to go and be in another industry, not music-related, not Christian-related, and if you had to start from scratch, I think you could you could do whatever you wanted to and start all over again. I'm sure you'd be successful. That's, well, thanks that's, for the words of encouragement. I, I, appreciate I mean that. that. I mean, I, I think you're somebody that, that I look up to in that respect uh, uh, very much. We think you're uh, a really funny really funny character, and we're glad to have you on the show. But uh, I just think, I think what you've been able to do is I think it's neat. I think there's not a lot of people that uh, – that are willing to take that. It's that risk-reward thing, right? Well, and, and also what it is is just like what Matt and I do constantly, and I appreciate so much when I see it in people, is a little bit of scheming. All right, so this is a long way around of, of still getting to the question is, you. so you don't think of or didn't intend for Tooth & Nail to be a Christian label? I mean, you know, there's no such thing as a Christian label, right? Okay. I mean, what makes somebody a Christian is that they invite you know, Jesus in their heart, God as their personal Lord and Savior right. of their life. Um, but, you know, like Christian T-shirts and Christian trinkets and Christian music and all that, like there's no real such thing. So um, what I wanted to do is I well, I saw a niche in Orange County for sure and up in Seattle and Oregon at the time mm-hmm. where uh, if somebody wanted to sing about their faith, it was this line, right? So if you were a general market label or secular, if you will, label, which I would never really say that, but a lot of people wouldn't sign those artists because they're afraid of that, right? Like, what right. is that, right? And then the Christian labels, or quote-unquote Christian labels, were putting out like Sandy Patty and Evie and yeah. Silver Wind or whatever. So they weren't really going to touch it either. So, th- And if they did touch it, it would have to be real commercial and slick. And um, there was no, like, you know, the Crucifieds of the world or the Living Sacrifices of the world, you know, or the Scattered Fuse of the world or the Poor Lose of the world the clergies of the world, you know, these bands were never going to get on them, you know, at the time, at least probably on a record label. Um, and so I thought, wow, there's a huge scene of young artists that maybe aren't the most talented. They can play their instrument. Like they've been playing guitar for 20 years and play like eighties solos and like, you know, but they're really cool bands. They actually relate to people. They actually have a message and um, they're, in some cases, their message comes maybe before the music. It's more of a scene. It's a culture. And it just seems like somebody should have a home for that, you know? So yeah. that was kind of my thought process. And uh, that's why eventually I quit Frontline Records and started my own label. Let's shift a little bit. This is a topic right. that I wanted to get into. And there's a million things we could cover here. But uh, something we talk, wind up talking about on the podcast a lot about because of our experience is just simply that we see bands all the time and unbelievably and even sadly so people that are on fire these christian bands these new bands they wind up not ultimately being christians and a lot of them say oh yeah i'm totally not i mean you know so what like totally give me like, some examples of okay well how about this mute, one? D- dave bazan was on our podcast before you you said you listened to that episode and liked it and it's super his story is super compelling but he was originally a tooth and nail christian artist and arguably his lyrics were more cutting Christian lyrics than anybody. Yeah, you said he led a Bible study that you were a part of, right? Yeah, tell, what, what was that about? Yeah, I was in a Bible study that uh, Dave led in, I think, 97 uh, in this kind of crappy house up, if you go up, like, to 105th Street up on up north. Uh-huh. But um, And uh, Damon Gerardo was in it. He was in it. A bunch of cool other guys were in and, it. And neither cool of those guys, guys are Im- completely admittedly not even close to Christian anymore, right? Damon Gerardo is. Oh, he I is? Damon yeah. is. Yeah, okay. I don't know. What is your 
like take though on artists that are besides Dave is on name someone else. The guy from like Eve Math, Mike Herrera from MXVX. Someone told me uh, I don't listen to his well, podcast. We don't know, no, we don't know if Mike Herrera. No. I think Mike he has his own is podcast. A, is a Christian. Well, someone who. This, hey, but this all is I'm r- saying is you're saying all these people, but I want to know. So Dave I, is on. Toby said the agony okay, scene I, earlier. I, yeah, the agony <laughs> scene. It's just not that many. <laughs> Several of the under oath guys are not Christian anymore. I mean, they were like big, who's several one or more one or more several like who Spencer who else <laughs> yeah uh, one or more I mean you know. their, their drummer from he was in Norma Jean What's Brandon Ebel's yeah. calling yeah. bullshit yeah. I, I'm calling yes Dan- Daniel Davidson Daniel Davidson I am calling bullshit shenanigans right now <laughs> Golly G Willikers suffering second so, so, okay, I, I respect that but you're saying that in your well, I'm just saying you're saying all these people but like a couple uh, there's here people there. Jim Worthen I mean, I'm not trying to na- <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to name a bunch of names I'm just saying there's tons of bands haste the day I mean people you know there's a lot of bands where there's people in these bands and they're, they're not Christian anymore. we're not That's, talking shit about them yeah, I mean it, it, it should be okay for them to say yeah I'm not a Christian I mean That's I just saying, haven't read that many interviews or anything where people it, nobody can not. though they, yeah. well, how but there, I mean, there's a lot of people that won't come. People that we're really good friends with that that will not come with. Uh, that will not come on this podcast because they're afraid we're gonna uh, expose them as they're not Christian anymore. But they're still on these Christian bands. Like is, you don't, you don't, you really are denying that that's a big I'm not part of the Christian it. I was just industry. Asking to name names, man. Okay. Get all bad Christian I'm just controversy. What is, your, what is your take on that? Because and and I identify you because you're a Christian that I've gone to church with that I've known for a really long time. Well, you know, you still believe in Jesus. You're still Walking the walk, and Talkin so many talk. people don't. So how, I mean, to uh, to me that always affects. Well, me. you know, my dad and my brother are pastors. I would definitely say I'm not walking the walk like they are. You know what I mean? I've never been called into ministry. You know, the Bible says not many of you should be teachers, or you'll be judged more strictly. And I'm like, I don't want to get judged more strictly. <laughs> so basically, you're disagreeing with these guys that you, yeah, you that, haven't seen that. No, 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 I'm not. I just wanted to know names. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to get on your guys' level. What about some of those early <laughs> bands? That, that I mean, you don't have to name names, but, I mean, we're not saying that I want to. I don't want to condemn somebody for not believing anymore. If you don't, kind of like what Dave Bazan said, once you've pulled back the curtain, how do you go back? If somebody says, hey, I just don't believe anymore, that's okay, but I do believe there is something strange about the Christian industry, and then you can't ever talk about where you're at. Like, uh, like even Michael Gunger, who is a, a solid believer in Jesus Christ, uh, talked openly about his faith. We had him on the podcast a few weeks ago, and people criticize him just because he's saying, hey, this is kind of what I'm thinking about right now. And so I, I think that's why people can't do it. But do you see that a lot where you have a young 18-year-old guy that grew up in youth group and happened ended up in some kind of rock band, and then by the time he's 20 five he's like yeah i don't believe that shit anymore well yeah i mean i would say that i've seen that not just in bands but in like everybody yeah right you know i mean i think there's a certain percentage of people yeah, that that's true. maybe fall away from what they believe and there's some that don't you know i mean there could be somebody that's a strong christian they get married when they're 21 and you know their wife cheats on them they get all bitter and you know i mean you can go down the road you know you could have your kids die in a car wreck you could have all kinds of life trauma could happen to somebody where they change their persuasion one way or another you know but yeah, I mean, uh, there's been artists on Tooth and Nail that, you know, I would say to generalize it down to the music industry is just, you know, I mean, yeah. You, the only reason we talk about this so much is because we just feel it and people talk to us about it and we see the bands and the stuff. It's, it's like people want to look at us or bands that you've signed as uh, role models and examples, but a lot of times they're, they're, they're not. They're not good examples. They're not people that have their shit together at all they're just people that got that played guitar well or had a good voice and now they're 
like on stage and people and and then there's this fear built into like well if I come clean about I'm not sure where I'm at or I don't know what I believe then all of a sudden maybe they'll lose record sales and you know what I mean so that's been that's well, been I mean, difficult and that's I guess we're maybe overly reactive to that but we're trying to just we're just trying to get this stuff out there for, just maybe we're over processing it for ourselves you know just to to make sure that we're not uh playing a role we just want to be the you know who we are if it makes us look bad that's okay but the industry can be pretty brutal as far as people hiding stuff, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I think especially back in the day, big time, you know? But, um, you know, and also I kind of think it depends on the genre. But, I mean, I would just say to all the listeners out there, there's a lot of great people in the music biz yeah. that are quality people that uh, walk the walk and, you know, believe what they say. And there's also people that stumble and make mistakes but um, are repentive. And there's some people that flat out just turn around and maybe don't, the first bands I put out, Wish for Eden, the lead singer was a Christian. No one else was. They were smoking weed on the first tour. Focus, they were a straight-edge Christian brand. They were actually vegan and didn't drink or smoke, but not necessarily because they were just Christian, because that's not in yeah, the Bible yeah. at all, but uh, because they were in that kind of a scene, right? So all these bands have a different vibe. Starflyer 59 has one or two songs about God in 18 albums, but Jason's probably one of the more godly guys I've ever met, right? All right, so just one more question on this, and we'll move on to some other yeah. stuff, but... What do you? Are you say? insinuating that they become not Christian because they're jaded? No, no, I, I don't think so. I just I think it's a confusing thing. But it's funny that our industry uh, promotes to, or, or or has this pressure on people to where if you have a problem, like basically you can't be yourself, you can't tell the truth because it will hurt your career. My philosophy has always been that the artist sings about what they want. So Wish yeah. for Eden had one or two songs about God. It was mostly like kind of. Like kind of this kind of genre, like Helmet, you know, yeah. real positive. Starflyer was very ambiguous and arty. Focus was evangelical Christian band. So they would talk about Jesus, and that's great. Supertones would do altar calls at their shows. Uh, Jeremy Camp, an amazing, you know, strong Christian guy. Yeah. I've also put out Agony Scene. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, no matter what, all that, we're, all that you're saying here, which is completely makes sense to me, is that you're signing music and you're putting out stuff that you like and that you think is – reasonable and it of course it's not your responsibility to like you're not standing on some platform of teaching when you put out a record no, i'm not a pastor like, i haven't been to seminary yeah, no it, i mean i'm not claiming to be a teacher yeah, what i want to do comes out of this punk yeah rock, what i want to do is like if i sign a band to bc we're on christian radio i want to make sure that they put out an album that is in that vein and that they want to be in the christian market and they have something to say that's interesting and viable if you're on Tooth and Nail or Solid State, it's a whole different thing. If you're on Tooth and Nail, it's more Warped Tour, all ages. Solid State's heavy, harder. And um, and that's not because you're selling out your biblical principles. It's just what music you're putting out for the who you're putting it out to. And I've never said that Tooth and Nail is Christian. I've never said buy this because it's Christian. Yeah. Um, I, it was very interesting. When I first started Tooth and Nail, and we went to Cornerstone Festival in 94, 95, and we, I had kids coming up to me like crying like, you know, I have only been able to listen to, like, you know, Sandy Patty, but then you guys came along, and my parents let me listen to, like, your bands, and I thought that was so cool. Like, wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, my parents didn't let me listen to Christian music, but I don't I don't see that as a... They didn't let you listen to I Christian mean, music? I, I let me listen to uh, secular music. They better not have. <laughs> I mean, you know... Sunday came out, my brother and I were like, oh, that's the answer to grunge music. Like, now we don't have to worry about not listening to all the other stuff. Well, because my parents wouldn't let us listen to anything no. else. I mean, it was exciting. What's... what's um, do you know anything, the latest about Scott Saletta, what he's up to? You keep in touch with him? Not really. He's in the documentary, though. Is he really? Yeah, how about how did you end up um, discovering Joe Christmas? Like, what was the connection there? 
This is lightning round. But yeah, it's lightning round. Because they're old, Athens, Georgia, your West Coast. Please limit this answer uh, to four seconds, yeah, four and we'll seconds. move on. Joe Christmas. Well, couple skate. We did a music video on Super 8 film. It was really rad. Um, that was one of the best songs. Okay, next question, Joey. Out. All right, Havelina Rail Company. Was that like a personal <laughs> preference of music? Because or did no they one, sell a lot? No oh. one is listening to this, so you can say four, anything four you want. Four second answer and move on. Well, Havelina Rail Company is interesting because my old girlfriend, Judita, ended up marrying Matt Wignall from Havelina, and they're still married to this day, and she was also on the Halo Friendlies. And Matt Wignall was also my first paid employee ever at Tooth & Nail, and he was photographer, and he was my publicist, and he got Gwen Stefani and Tony from No Doubt to come and do their indie layout on my computer. Oh, that's awesome. Right. Can, right. uh, no can, big deal. Can the guys before they were big? Next they, question, Joey. Guys, you met Gwen Stefani. Hey, you want to hear about this story? Yeah, I do. Actually. That's yeah, worth it. Yeah, do that. Yeah. All right, so ten seconds. No, <laughs> ten seconds. No, I'm not even worth it. Do you want to hear it or no? All right, so Tooth and Nail is starting out. We're in our second office. I got Aaron Bradford and Matt Wignall working for me. Matt Wignall is like this big time photographer, not big time, but he's on his way. He shoots for this magazine, Mean Street. So he shoots No Doubt, which is a big local band that had been, got signed to Interscope. They had two singers, and then uh, one guy had passed on, uh, and so then they became just a girlfriend band. And they had been a band for ten years, and they were kind of struggling. Their first record bombed, and they kind of got they were getting dropped from Interscope. And uh, Matt goes, hey, you know, No Doubt's going to come to our office. Because, you know, back then in 93, 94, like, not everybody even had a computer. So yeah. they're like, well, they need to use your computer to scan <laughs> all these, like, cut out pictures to put out this indie album with a parrot on the cover. And um, have all their old demos and stuff. And I was like, cool. And so uh, one of my other friends, Jeremy, was the drummer of this band, The Blamed. Actually, he was the drummer of Staves Acre. He was the lead singer of The Blamed. He was hanging Your out with second me. album, Frail, right? Nice. Boom. This, who is this I guy? I got you, dog. Wild. <laughs> and uh, we're all hanging out, and Gwen Stefani comes in. She's, you know, total babe or whatever. And right. Her, so and hot. He, and he, he's literally, like, spellbound by her. And I'm like, and they're like, hey, Brandon, thank you so much for letting us use your computer. And I'm like, well, what are you guys going to do? I mean, you've been in a band for 10 years. You were on Interscope, and you got dropped, you know, whatever. And they're like, I don't know. We're just going to put out our own indie record, and there's this one label, Trauma, that's interested in working with us. And, uh, you know, so I was supposed to go out to movie with my friend Jeremy, and uh, he goes, bro, I got to stay here. I mean, I think she's into me and all this stuff. And I was like, what are you talking about? I think she's dating Tony, the bass player, who's yeah. in the room. So I ended up going to the movie by myself. I was all pissed, and then later I found out. He's like, yeah, I tried to kind of ask her out, and turns out she is dating Tony. <laughs> but anyway, long story short, two years later, they get signed by Trauma, Tragic Kingdom, 20 million records later. They're on tour with Bush. Wow. Yeah, and I then we're up in concert. Seattle in Tacoma Dome, and I go backstage, and Tony, you know, the bass player, comes up, and he's like, hey, Brandon, thanks for letting us use your computer, man. I was like, all is well, my friend. All is well. And he's like, you know, we really want to take MXPX on tour. And then they did. They took MXPX on tour. Nice. That's yeah. crazy. I saw I the Bush that. No Doubt tour in Greenville, South Carolina. It was yeah. the second concert I ever went to in my life. Uh, P.O.D., do they owe it to Helpless of being discovered, the compilation? Seriously, I, I, I don't know. Were they? Did people know of P.O.D. before they came out on that compilation, Helpless Amongst Friends? Um. Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, P.O.D. was, I think, on the drummer's dad's label. Yeah. But before they ever put out any release, I did a yeah compliment. I mean, 
This guy knows a lot. Yeah, he's, I know. He's the, Joey's the, I mean, we make fun of Joey a lot, but he is the guy that, that showed I'm not making fun indie, of him. indie music to we wouldn't Toby, have known about to Toby, Toby Devin, and I uh, only know about indie music through Joey. All right, so yeah. basically what I did is I started um, three compilation series to help discover un, undiscovered bands. One was Helpless Amongst Friends, which was my first one. And then Hardcore. I did Hardcore, and then I did it's, I'm Your Biggest Fan. This guy knows a lot. <laughs> yeah, Hardcore was the other one. What was the third one? I'm Your Biggest Fan, oh, yeah. which is more punk rock. So Helpless Amongst Friends, though, was... Basically, I took every hardcore band in Orange County and San Diego, and I put them out on this compilation. Did you know our old band used to do a remake of the Mr. Bishop's Fist song on that? And do you know it was in Mr. Bishop's Fist? Jonathan Ford. Nice. Lead singer. <laughs> unwed Sailor, Roadside yeah. Monument. All right. All right. I'm, on the, I'm on the right show right yeah, now. I have no idea. Well-oiled. Yeah, he knows it all. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we put out these compilations, and we got P.O.D., and then uh, Noah, the drummer's father, came in and said, "Hey, we want to be on Tooth and Nail, but it's going to cost you twenty-five grand." And I was like, "Twenty-five grand? I'm not going to pay you guys twenty-five grand to be on the label." They only sold like millions of records. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so yeah, we put that out, and then uh, they we were in the running to sign the band, and they ended up signing to Atlantic Records. Hey, A lot of the bands that uh, you signed, did they have? Uh, street creds in like Seattle outside of the Christian music scene, like Blenderhead, for instance. I mean, were they playing just regular gigs or were they known as the, you Christian know, it was all band? different. So at one point in the nineties, we were putting out super scene kind of indie cool bands, um, like Frotus roadside monument, Fleur 100 Danielson family. We did a showcase at CMJ with like Jade tree and like promise ring. Yeah. Um, all those kind of bands, you know, and then we kind of became kind of more pop punk. Yeah, Goatee Hook, Value Pack, and yes. all those guys. Yeah, MXPX, Craig's Brother, Slick Shoes. Was he really 14 when that EP yeah. came out? That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> crazy, yeah. How does it, you literally know as much about Tooth and Nail as I do? He knows more than you, Brandon. <laughs> he knows a lot more than you do about Tooth and Nail. So the story with Slick Shoes is, is Bill Power, who worked for me, uh, got a cassette tape from them, like a four-song cassette Bill tape. Now, Bill is for sure a listener to the podcast. Thank oh, yeah. you, Bill. Yeah. Yeah, this Bill's great. Good. I mean, we can we can go on and talk about <laughs> Bill for a while too. But Bill comes in and he goes, "Hey, there's this band. They're kind of like MXPX, but they're heavier. They're kind of like Lag Wagon, Fat Records, or whatever." And so we send him a contract, and then the lawyer calls. They hired a lawyer, and they're like, um, "The lead singer's 14 years old, Crazy. but he's homeschooled, so he's going to go on tour anyway." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh wow, well, I don't know how I even feel about that." <laughs> So, did you know? But they ended up like Bill Stevenson, you know, ended up producing one of their records, you know, from the Descendants, and yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. So it's good stuff. In my in the movie in the documentary, if you guys want to try to check that out at yes, some point, everybody want to be already, has already bought it. Yeah, right. by this point, <laughs> I don't know about that. Where but. where is it that they can buy that can get it or check this out? Toothnail.com. It'll be um, all over the place, right? No new kind of story.com. Yep. Or if you went to Toothnail Records in our merch store, toothnail.merchline.com. No new, yeah, no new kind of story.com. Toothnail.com store. Um, so we like made a, a thousand books. Discount. So in the documentary, you talk about the point when you got to swim in your money vault. What point was that? God, you guys are so <laughs> controversial. <laughs> Okay, so when you're young, I mean, I don't know how every, all our listeners are now, but when I was a kid, I literally wanted to just get through college, yep. get a job. I, had, I didn't have a girlfriend. I had no bills. I didn't have anything, right? So I basically just wanted to get out of my school debt, and I had a little bit of money saved up. So um, 
But to me, you know, I don't know if I could have pulled off tooth and nail if I was sitting with three kids and actually responsible enough to know what was going on. It was more of a, like a blur. Like, yeah, I want to support focused and unashamed in the Orange County hardcore scene and, you know, the music, you know, the, all the bands up in Seattle. And so I start putting out these bands and I'm just trying to break even or try to, you know, trying to pay back my grandfather who I loaned $60,000 from. Right. And... Um, I think the reality set in that I went to Cornerstone in 94, and I'd been to Cornerstone in 91, 92, 93. Big, for those of you who don't know, Cornerstone is a big, huge... I was at 91. Nice, Isn't that bro. crazy? This Old guy's school. a... Friggin' the reason bad Christian is He's alive and well. <laughs> He's unstoppable. See, with all your knowledge, you could be interviewing people over the next 20 years. <laughs> yeah, no, but they won't he, let no, me. No, he cannot. You'll be he like, Alter Boys, no, tell no, us no, about no. it. People hey, are like, who? No, we he, are, he, we he already got Michael Pritzel wants to be on the show, and they're just like, eh, we don't even know who that no, is. No, this is literally Joey's only good <laughs> Too podcast. Too late. This is the only time Joey's been good on the podcast. Whatever. Go to hell. He's like, hey, man, if you're from 95 or before... <laughs> I'm like the only guy that's gone on for 20 years. This so. is where the people that listen to the podcast hit the 15 second jump ahead. <laughs> well, then let's edit this part out. So, no, you know what? I do want to get. I mean, if there's other stuff that's fine that we that that y'all want to nerd that Brandon well, I and Joe want to answer that question. Though. I want to answer the question okay. about in '94. I go to Cornerstone. First three years totally inspired me to do tooth and nail. One of the main reasons I go to Cornerstone and we sold seven thousand dollars worth of merchandise. And uh, wait, I, who's we? I lost you there. We was my brother and his friend and me. And my brother, like Wish Freed like, and stuff. Uh, we sold Wish Freed and Focus, Starfire, okay. so you had already Chatterbox, okay. sometimes Sunday, gotcha, but we gotcha, mostly gotcha. just sold the Tooth and Nail logo shirt. Gotcha. And uh, you know, seven thousand dollars worth of shirts is like, yeah. I mean, you know, again, you, it's hard to wrap your head around it because now everybody lives in a world where. Someone in France likes them. They know about it. Yeah. But back then, you didn't even know who liked you, really. Right. Yeah. You'd ship the... There was no sound scan. You didn't know how many records were selling. You didn't know... You would ship some records, and then if they got reorders, you knew they were selling. So, you, there was nobody on some blog somewhere saying, right. I think you're cool, or you suck, right. or whatever. There's and you had almost no chance no twi- of being tweets, known by right. people out of town. Like what? you didn't. You had no chance of being necessarily known by people out of town. Like, it, it had to be local. Like, it's how you had to... Had to to do stuff you had to be local and then grow your region exactly yeah so we go to this festival and literally people are coming up like oh your band starfire wish freedom da 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 you know changed my life and all this stuff and we're selling all these shirts so i had seven thousand dollars worth of cash which was just wild to me and uh so i had my backpack coming back on the airplane (laughs) and then i I came back to my apartment and i kind of threw it down on the ground and i was like i I might be able to make like a living (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like doing the record label, like for more than like a year or two, like I might be able to actually like just do this record label. Yeah, that's cool. Which would be kind of cool, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I was kind of stoked, you know, put it in the bank or whatever, like a big shot. Like here's seven grand cash, dog. Why don't you deposit that? So you know, whatever. It was good. Yeah, and then uh, of course when we signed Plank Eye and Supertones, MXPX, and kind of went to a whole nother level. And yeah. I remember getting an MXPX tape. So when you first started, you had to make tapes oh, yeah. still. Oh yeah, we made tapes all through the '90s. Yeah, I mean, and so vinyl. I That's got rid, crazy. Man. When we moved to Seattle, we were I making vinyl when you vinyl. actually just made vinyl. It yeah, wasn't it was like, like you're re- making vinyl to be cool. Like vintage. you actually just made it for real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, hey, hey think about this. To the nil started. I mean, time flies, but back then nobody had cell phones. Oh yeah, yeah not at all. You had no website. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just to- no, your email was aol.com, like AOL. You I had mean, to actually call everybody on the phone, like, hey. 
for people's eyes to really be open about how this culture worked. I know it sounds weird to call it a culture, but I remember being at Winthrop University. This is where we all met. And I would get the new tooth and nail um, little booklet of new merch. And I would look and see how much money I had. And then I would put a checkbox by the CDs that I wanted. And I would literally send an order form in the mail with a check. And be like, well, I hope I get those CDs soon. You know, just and it might take you six weeks. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there, there was, was no, no Amazon Prime. Like no, we guarantee it's delivered in a day. I mean, it's crazy. And you wouldn't. It's not like if you had a customer service problem, you could like. You have to call them. Yeah. You have to uh, literally call. I mean, it's just crazy. Okay, so, so Brandon, there's two stories about Emory that I'd like to to get to in this interview because we could talk probably for for hours but one is i want to hear your take on how much uh, money have we actually made you? how much money okay. we made you now how, like us getting signed i'd like to hear your point of view on your first impressions of us and also i'd love to just go ahead and clear out and talk about the time when you offered us a ton of money to resign <laughs> and we turned it down i'd love i'd love to, to talk about that one because that's one of the stupidest things we've ever done <laughs> And I'd like I'd like to get that out in the air. I mean, the you know, bad Christian podcast. Just get it out on the table. Just get right? it out. Uh, when was the first time you heard of Emory and, and found out who we were? So John Dunn, my A&R guy, who signed you guys in August Runs Red, number one gun. He was interning, and then he we he was such a good intern, we hired him on in our mail order department. And one day I came to the office early, like at seven in the morning. He was there before me, which and he did on purpose to impress you. I don't know. But maybe. Yeah. I don't know. He's like a go getter. <laughs> yeah, he and is. he's playing walls. And he goes, That band Emory I told you about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, And I appreciate like a mail order guy bringing, I mean, tooth and nail, I was a phone rep, right? I appreciate anybody who works for me that believes in something enough to lay it on the line, like yeah. go to the boss and be like, so, he, you know, he just said, I think we should sign them. And I was like, well, if this band's so motivated or whatever, they should just come play like a show in our office. And then I walked off and I blew them off for like two weeks. I would do that. Like, I wouldn't even talk to them for like a couple of weeks. <laughs> but part of me was like wondering, like, you know, what's up with this guy? Because he, he, you know, John, he yeah. kind of talks he's a really big game. He's really aggressive. Yeah. He's, he's aggressive yeah. and he talks a big game. So I'm kind of pushing it back on him. Like, oh, if you think you know what you're yeah. doing. And so then you guys like literally show up. He goes, okay, I set up a showcase. And I'm thinking like – you know, where are we going in Seattle? What venue? And he goes, in our basement. And I was like, <laughs> really? We had never had a band play in the basement. And uh, Derek Tenenbush at the time, our head of sales, who was uh, in L.A., came up. And we had everybody there for one reason or another. I don't remember why. They were all happened to be in town. And so you guys went in there into the basement. And our basement was like where you could barely hit your head. It was a yeah. tiny room, yeah. Tiny room, and you guys just kicked, kicked ass. And w- So we games. played in there for – you know, I mean, it was a tiny room. We had—I don't know if there was even hardly a PA or anything. It was just a tiny room. And it was then a PA, and that was it. You guys were standing like all Smashed straight up against line the wall. against the back wall, yeah. and we were straight standing line, six yeah. feet away from you for forty people, thirty people that worked there. Yeah, and you guys just blew doors. We were impressed. <laughs> I was also impressed that John and you guys were willing to just go do that spur of the moment. And the recordings you guys had at with Ed Rose was awesome, and he was the guy at the time, which was cool that you guys would do that. And in fact, you moved from Carolina to Seattle, and didn't you guys all live in one little room or something? But, Brandon, yeah. tell the folks at home, what was one of the major problems with Emory at that time? Toby's like, our music was good. That No the problem. music was good. You <laughs> so like our ingenuity. Like, hey, you guys are throwing your yourselves under the bus That's okay. Right um, there was a couple of members that maybe could lose a few LBs. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Matt and Devin. Yeah, we we didn't have the best fashion sense. So what? So let me let me clarify. So I, I let, was, let me clarify. We we grew up in Greer, South Carolina, and we wore baggy clothes. And Joel and I, at least, were were large men. No, I we mean, never thought. We thought. I mean, like I wore extra everything. I wore. Yeah, was yeah, at yeah. Least I mean, we never. Your bass player, though. I just called him the troll. Yeah, yeah. Joel, Joel, <laughs> Joel, shorts and large. And he I looked was like large. he was in like Lord of the Rings or yeah, something. Yeah, like yeah. That. yeah. We yeah. just wore baggy clothes, and some of us were pretty big at the time, for sure. So I remember telling John, I'm like, look, man, I mean, they got the songs. They have the – I love anybody who's going to come play in my basement or, like, do something crazy or fly out or, I mean, drive <laughs> out across the country. To do, you know, I mean, so yeah. I love that. I loved your live show. I love the music. But part of me was just jousting with John Dunn because he's this charismatic guy that is kind of overly cocky, but I appreciate it. But <laughs> right. I also – You like so, it. I joust with them, so I'm like, well, why don't you get those guys to lose some weight? You know, <laughs> not thinking you guys ever would. And by the right. way, I would have signed you anyway. But then you guys drop like friggin' fifty pounds or whatever, like, and uh, he took all the credit for that. But well, then you that, told me tonight that it turns out you're already on a diet anyway. Oh yeah, right? yeah well, that, we had that, moved to Seattle, so to us, it hey was John, like, you just got called out. <laughs> yeah, you were called out. No, we John. just it was like we had we had only been here for a, a certain amount of time, and we were just now like we we came from a totally different culture, and we were just had started learning that, like oh, there's fashion, and it matters how you look. We came from a place where it's just all farmers, so like we were learning like oh, it matters how you look, and it, oh, it's cool you can. Uh, lose weight. You can look good. You can. Y'all try started buying like, female clothes too. Yeah, I mean at that time. Yeah, I mean yeah, we, we never were... bought Levi's. We bought Lees. Yeah, <laughs> jeans. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, hey, extra far, waist, right? extra comfy waist. Yeah, we never thought. So we we were just being influenced by Lee. The, real well, comfortable. Well, the way our weight loss happened was that Joel. Uh, honestly, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take credit for this. Joel did not want to diet or anything. Matt's mom at the time Atkins diet was really huge, and I was like, Joel, hey, listen, I really believe this is before. I believe this is. Before we even played that show, actually, uh, and Joel and I said, "Hey, I said, Joel, let's just try this for a few weeks and just see if it works." Matt's mom said all this and this, and she lost like ten pounds in two weeks. So I was like, "Let's just try it," and so we had did that, and because I knew I did not want to be super huge jumping around on stage, I just didn't feel good about myself. So, but we never thought about it before. But now we've been yeah. But John Dunn never came to us and said, "Hey, you need to lose weight." He never said that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. It was just he kind took, of like a John. Confluence. You took credit for that, though. I'm like, I want these guys to lose weight, but, and you guys dropped all this weight, and I was like, dude, these guys are for real. And next time we saw, <laughs> next time we saw you was at Cornerstone. And you're all skinny. Yeah, everyone's yeah. all rail thin. I'm like, wow. Yeah, like we, we just won it. We learned how to dress, and we lost some weight, and we continued to work on yeah. our music. And, and you guys so, did the walls video. That was sick. Yeah, that was awesome. That was our best video. Yeah. So you signed you signed us like only that. because we got skinny. Is that the official? To be on tooth and nail looks are a must. <laughs> no. I was actually quoting somebody else there. All right, so the other most embarrassing worst thing that Emory ever did was, uh, and I guess that, I mean. Hey, 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 you can't just skip up to that. The question, top 10 tooth and nail albums of all time. Yeah, absolutely. Like so Amazing. We, so oh, the damn, fast forward, cool. the fast forward, just just so you guys understand it, is we put out the weeks in there is what the, the album is. We had the time. And then we did the question, and it and it was amazing. It, it's like uh you know, a landmark album, I get. I mean, to us, it didn't seem that crazy. It was just our next album or whatever. So we, we didn't think of it as that crazy. And then we went to make, w between the question and Only a Man, from our point of view, just to air this publicly, we thought everything we do is amazing. We made the week's end. It was great. We made the question, and it's even better. So yeah. clearly the next album we're going to make is 
going to be the best. And at that time, we'd acquired some management and stuff that was kind of high-powered uh, managers and stuff like that. And there's like, all right, people are getting just millions of dollars, so you guys are the next big thing. You're going to make millions of dollars. And so um, Brandon came to is us. Larry? And, yeah, Larry. it was Larry, yeah. And he says, you know, it's going to be Miller time is what he said specifically. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, he said, he said it's, it's Miller time. Let me handle this. <laughs> Didn't he used to manage like Kiss? Oh, he ma yeah, he ma yeah, he did. He used to manage Kiss. Oh he was God. managing us, and and he told us that we're going to get millions of dollars. And other bands that we toured with, and bands that had supported us, had made literally got millions of dollars and signed uh, to major who? labels, like from first to last. They had supported us, and they got a million or two million dollars. I don't know how it worked out. All right, so they got two million dollars, but if they say that, but if it got divided by four albums, maybe that was five hundred thousand yeah, per. Maybe. But they got dropped after a lot of records. Maybe, but they're, yeah, they're, but then but, the, but then the major deals. label has them spend it all on the record, so they put fifty right. grand in their pocket. Yeah. Maybe, but they were getting deals. So look, if the they get five hundred grand, they give twenty percent to their manager, ten percent to their lawyer. Yeah. The major makes them spend the rest. They each put like friggin' ting. I mean, you know. Yeah, I guess. But our manager was thrown. But we, around how much did we spend on the question? Of dollars. We spent well, on on making the question. Yeah. I think we spent eighty grand, which sounds like a million dollars to me now. But did we really spend that yeah. much? Yeah, that does sound like a lot. A lot. But the, uh, so our our manager was throwing around around these numbers that were just like literally million, two million, and and he's saying that we're that's what we're gonna get. And so before we made. I'm only a man. Brandon came to us and said, "Hey, let's let's. It's time to like talk about our deal. Let's make a deal." And you came to us with an offer that was like over five hundred grand. It was, yeah. and I would never talk about this, but you know, bad Christian. You Is guys this bring okay? It out Is, me are you okay that. to talk about numbers like that? I mean, I don't care. It's fine. Well, I mean, it's, it's for all you listeners out there and all other bands. This was in the mid, in the height of the music yeah. industry. Oh yeah, we sold sure. three million records in one year, and EMI owned part of the company. Yep. And EMI got uh, said that I could give you guys that much money. And not only did you guys turn it down, but your manager was kind of like a more like a frick you. <laughs> we, and I we, was like, wow. Like, go we, I mean, yourself. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like that. And I was like, and you guys were the sweetest, nicest guys, right? And we had a great relationship with this guy. He had this kooky eye and like. He's all like Gene Simmons and I used to rage or whatever. And I was like, it was a crazy. I was thing. like, that just seems like a really good offer. Yeah, I mean, but, uh, I wouldn't have been able to make that offer so on my own. So we had this was meeting. Was this when you guys were moving on to back? No, 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 no. They no, still no, owed no. us another record. We yeah, were just yeah. trying to get out in front. Yeah. Of it. So Brandon yeah, tried to make okay. us a deal before we everybody made our thought final our third record. record was going to be. I mean, the first record blew up. The and we had just signed Under Oath and Jeremy Camp. And we thought we made the weeks in. We made the question. Watch this next one. This is going to be so. Here's the thing. So in well, Brandon offered us a very... So in 2005, we were so hot. We sold millions of records. I re-signed Jeremy Camp and Under Oath to very lucrative deals. And, yeah. he, and EMI loved me. And they owned half the company at the time. So they had a huge say in everything we did. And I said, I want to do what I did with Jeremy Camp and Under Oath and re-signed Emory. So we offered you guys a really fair starting point. But their manager it was, was so literally hardcore. like He was offering us four or five. I, mean, I don't even remember. It was Brandon over 500 grand. Yeah. Cr crazy. Which I don't know if you should put on this podcast because I don't mind talking about it because it's the one <laughs> of the stu I mean, it's just one more thing that makes us sound stupid. We turned it down. Yeah. Okay, so this is where the story's going. Well, they didn't just turn it we down. Were... Their manager was more like <laughs> their manager wasn't even like nice about it. He was just like, "Freak you guys!" Or you know what I mean? Like we thought we were gonna go get two million. We thought the album would come out. <laughs> we thought right. the album would come out, and then we were gonna get unreal money. And so, so what? So but my the, wife and I made. My wife and I made wasn't plans. as good as well. We, so here's what happened. We made, then, then we made the record "Only a Man," which I, I think is great, and a lot of people like it. Or whatever. People like but question more though. For sure, people didn't like it. 
commercially as much as the question. Right. So na- this was before we made it because at this point in our so you life, got hold on you guys turning down that money would have put ultimately more money in y'all's pocket if y'all no no sold listen it. Joey we basically Brandon I would have never us, made money on the third album or fourth oh right. listen Brandon offered us half a million or more dollars to make. To do only a man and re-signed long term, and we we had dollar signs. We thought we were going to make millions of dollars because yeah. we, we were that arrogant at the time. We thought we'd make the week's end. Make the yeah, question. we thought we thought. Oh yeah, it we're going to. I mean, that's that's silly money. We, we're, we're not going we'll to go double up by that. a factor of ten percent or twenty yeah. percent. We want to yep. go up by. We we're going to. We, here we go. Basically, we were completely but, stupid. So then you never got the offers then. No, okay, so here's what I never have heard the other great. side. I mean, I'm, I don't what mind, did Larry do? What did Larry do? I don't do? mind divulging this information at all. I don't. I don't care at all because I don't. I don't mind. I just don't. But so so we didn't take that offer. We thought Brand. We thought Brandon at the time was trying to short sell us before we made the record because once we thought once he hears the record, once people hear it. He'll have to give us way more, so that's why he's trying to do it so early. Yeah. And so we made Only a Man, and it did not sell as much as the question. It sold a, a, a third, maybe, or a third. But then also the music industry just slowly And it was changed. at the exact same time for music industry changed. or whatever. Yeah. So ultimately, of course, we never got a big major label. When you say the music industry changed that was talking when about like digital well yeah, literally it changed from 05 to 06 yeah, and, and, and it kind of people started downloading night. illegally and everything i mean that was a, the exact moment like right before our record came out amberlynn's record came out and it did really well and we're like oh we're gonna kill and then it yeah just didn't. so so the so what we did was make only a man on tooth and nail and it didn't it didn't do that well and then after but the that, question sold like two hundred thousand. yeah and so after that then we re-signed to tooth and nail because we didn't get the major deal and we say brandon brandon and then that fi- that five hundred thousand, and now that offer's gone too so it was, a little so, bit, it was a lot less so we wound up <laughs> signing like we wound up re-signing tooth and nail happily and gladly so their stupidity That's actually right. was a good thing for you yeah it worked out for him the lord the lord blessed him and screwed, <laughs> screwed you know the lord was working <laughs> no, yeah our, so we turned down that half a million Offer and for then, substantially less and substantial when we came. And we're all back sitting here at the Brandon, table and yeah. we're all lifelong friends. Go Clemson, <laughs> go Oregon State. Yeah. So substantially less, we wind up re-signed to them. Now we do shallow seas. We do all this Your other wife's stuff. Wife's pissed. Yeah. Well, okay. Let me clarify too. I thoroughly believe, in, and I know we have a lot of listeners that don't believe in God. I am never more confident in anything in my life that that was the Lord. And I know that sounds crazy to say you didn't get money and didn't get success and stuff like that. But I promise you, uh, Brandon, you probably don't even know this. I was jogging, listening to I'm Only a Man, and the only time in my life I literally, while I was jogging, I spoke in tongues. And I know it sounds crazy. This sounds like a, we're getting very spiritual here. Getting real and, or like and so here's assembly the, of God or me. Oh, totally, like, totally, uh, totally. <laughs> so this is the only time I've physically – literally spoke in tongues i was, hey, Brandon I was jogging knees are shaking right yeah, now. yeah i was <laughs> jogging and uh these words came out of my mouth it was almost like i vomited words i know i know this sounds absurd and i promise you i went uh it, i by the time I, I was 100 yards from my house by the time i got my house i didn't remember a single vowel or consonant that i said and uh but i it felt like in my brain was stamped the word forgiven and I, I remember getting to my condo, walking up the steps, and I walked in and talked, saw my wife, and I said, Jess, I'm not kidding. I was listening to our record, and I spoke in tongues. I think this is going to be the biggest selling Emory record in the history of the world. <laughs> <laughs> even, even though I, Forgiven was stamped on my head. And it, that just shows you our arrogance. Like, I, I promise you, I, I really yeah. thought, 
Oh yeah, this it's like uh, Wayne and Garth. Uh, we're gonna write, a, you know, I mean, uh, Bill and Ted. You know, they were gonna write a record that's gonna change the world. And all, this, all this. I mean, I think maybe I got that arrogant. And I promise you, I know in retrospect, it's easy to say this, maybe easier, or maybe you think this is part of my ego, but it really did change our life to where it did not become about success, and we started focusing on a lot more stuff. I believe I, I totally became. I mean. Through that process, after years and years and years, I realized what God was telling me, what he meant by for forgiveness or forgiven uh, through those words. And, and so I do believe, honestly, I can I can honestly say, at least for me, I believe that was part of God's plan. Now, it still stings, like, to go, yeah, wait, stings shit, a little I could bit, have $100,000 or something in my pocket. But and maybe it wouldn't have been that much. But anyway, with the re recording. Well, I but, mean, I mean, you got to split that money up, pay the taxes. Yeah, you got to pay the damn taxes. You got to pay Uncle Sam. But, yeah, but I, I agree. I think it was like a super humbling it, experience. It, and totally. I would not trade it. I, I'm glad, I wouldn't we, either. I'm, glad I'm not that, a that's, millionaire. That, that's so hard that's to sure. say. Man, I sure would like the money for sure. But I know – after that, I felt more of God's provision. Well, but, here, but here's the thing. So, like, when I would have given you that money on Tooth and Nail, you would still be able to make the record for cheaper, right? Yeah. Because, like, you know. Oh, yeah. I yeah, have yeah. bands that go on the majors. I'm not going to say names, but, like, Brendan O'Brien or some of these bigger names, Jer you know, Jerry Finn. Yeah. These big names produce these records, and the bands are like, yeah, we got 700 grand from the major label, but they spend you 700 spend the grand thing. on the record. Oh, and they totally. split up, like, you know, and we're making records for, you know, 30 to 80 grand, 90 grand, and they sell a lot of records, and you recoup. And Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, but so, all the number talk aside, I mean, to, to, to me, I'm not regretful of it. Like, I, I'm glad that we had the stumble there financially. I'm glad that we had the stumble on, on even record sales-wise. I wouldn't trade that. Um, I'm I'm glad. Like I think it has been. I think the humility of what happened to us there is like a really important part of my life. Like I I, I don't wish I had a bunch of more money right now. I'm I'm happy with with where we are and what happened. But for sure we were. I mean I I think at that time we were really arrogant and stupid. I mean for sure. That's well, just, just well, everything we did worked, and so we thought. Yeah, how yeah. are we supposed to know any different? I mean, we, like, just, we, we were being stupid. Everything and, and we I ever think, did was seemed like it turned to gold. So and, we, and, how and would honestly, we know? I think that even reflects. You know, you thought the same about us. You gave us a great deal, and we. <laughs> I mean, you actually offered us a great deal that was very <laughs> fair and good <laughs> and we were like no way i mean what, what kind of dickheads well were part we? of that was we were so haughty and i would do whatever i wanted yeah, right yeah. so there i was like we're gonna give these guys this much money and i was actually shocked because i thought your manager would either take it with you guys or he would come back and ask for a little bit more but instead he was like well yeah, we forget about that. it yeah he was like the machine i was like wow this yeah. is kiss's manager he's a machine He's an animal. Yeah. They, they and were I was like, I don't even know what they're going to do. You know? Yeah, they were like, as, as soon as we saw some statements of how much money they were making <laughs> compared to over a, a year or two, what they were making versus what we were making. Oh, your manager they, was, what was he taking? What was his Well, percentage? okay, so, I mean, this is another technical thing, but managers, a lot of times, especially the big time ones, they they, they get paid off of uh, gross, gross revenue. Revenue. So, so was he taking 15 or 20? Uh, it was 15. I think it was 15. But I know but, I know a, a couple of managers that even take 20. But here's like the problem. 60% so, of the net profit. I want profit. everybody to know that out there. When somebody's getting paid off gross, those people are going to tell you, well, you need to get more lights. You need to get a lighting designer and a tour bus and a better sound guy because no matter how much money you spend, they get paid the same. Right. You know what I mean? And and so getting paid off gross, when you pay somebody a percentage of gross, it's a weird deal. Like, hey, I've had bands come to me, show me their books, and I've seen where the managers are making three, 400000 a year and each band member is making like forty. Well, I 
Because they, if you take 20% of the gross and the band gross is a million bucks. That's unbelievable. And, and you think, oh, they only took, you know, 200 grand. Well, it's like, but then after the bus, overhead, cost of shirts, food, per diem. Totally. Everything's, and you bring that all the way down and then you divide it by five guys it's in the crazy. band. It's crazy. Let it's me wild. give you some real numbers on that. We did a tour one time, and our tour, and everybody will think we're so rich for this, but I'll let me break it down. We we grossed on a tour one time, like a 20-something-day tour, $140,000 on the just guarantees and yeah. merch or whatever. Our expenses on that tour was $120,000. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So that left that leaves 20. Listen, now, listen. I'm going to ask a serious they, question. I don't want y'all to get mad. Is that poor planning on y'all's part? Like, not not really. I mean, it was pretty normal is okay. what I'm saying. And so it was supposed to be big. We, we're you know, big time. Three buses. No, we didn't have three buses. Massage therapist, acupuncturist, drug dealer. Yeah. You got to have the manager's girlfriend <laughs> I mean, there. Yeah, it, it was bad on our part, but nonetheless, we spent. But you don't know what you're doing. You got to have a bus. You got to have lights. You got to have right. We're scrims, supposed to be. We're supposed the, to be yeah. big time. So so we we so the profit there's twenty thousand dollars that the four of us split five of us split up. The managers, however, are getting paid on fifteen percent of gross. So our managers on that tour got paid fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars, and then we split the leftover money. There's not not much when, when it comes down to us, kind of thing on that. But that that's the kind of the world we were in. So you know, contracts are made. The reason these music contracts have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger is because lawyers, you know, the artists and the big major labels sue each other, and these contracts get bigger and bigger. Since e, since we've left EMI in the last couple of years, our new contracts are like twelve pages long. Yeah. And they're easier to understand and everything else. But in the end of the day, it's all about relationships and friendships and, you know. Yeah, so the history of Tooth & Nail is in 93, I started the label, a loan from my grandfather. And then in 01, I sold half the company to EMI Music. And I'd been through a rough patch um, the three years before that. And... Got to the nails had so many scary times in the nineties. You know, we almost went out of business when we first started. Then we almost went out of business when MXPX left. And then after that we almost went out of business in like ninety nine and two thousand. It's it's hard. I mean you're you're doing a record label, you account to all the artists, you pay all the artists. I mean, I've loaned money to pay artists royalties before. Many times, like in the nineties. And it, you know, it's hardcore. And then, you know, we got in one law. I've been in one lawsuit with a man in 20 years, and that was very costly and hurtful and da-da-da-da-da. And, uh, you know, all that kind of wore me down. So I thought, I'm just going to sell the company. And then in 01, I sold half the company for EMI. And then all of a sudden, my mind got clear, and I became the brand in 93 and 94 where I could be creative and have fun again. And then we crushed, you know. And from 01 on, we signed Norma Jean. Emery, Amber Lynn, May, Thousand Foot Crutch, Hog Nelson, Jeremy Camp, Cutlass, Falling Up, Hangs Today, Under Oath, um, and many more. So Copeland, and uh, we kind of went on a tear in the you know in the two thousands, and that was fun because I didn't have to worry about the business side as much. I could just be creative again, and uh, you know I don't know. To the Nails had had its ups and downs, and it's taken on. S- but, but you're back. Identities. You're totally independent again. Right? Yeah, so we're back independent. We left EMI, and we've gone indie the last two years. It's been fun. It's totally different. 
and it's great. You know, our contracts, instead of being 70 pages long or 12 pages, and we have a really cool lawyer now that's, you know, to me, it's just like, look, you just do a small contract. In the end of the day, I'm always going to counter the artist. If they have a problem, we go in front of a judge or something, which is only once in 20 years, then I'm fine to go in there with a small amount of paper. You know, to me, I think the 70-page contracts are for the lawyers to fight about every word to make money. I mean, in the end of the day, it's like, I'm in business. I put out records to have fun and help people out and have a good time. You know, I mean, yeah. I really do. And I love putting out the records. I still love getting the CD when it comes in the mail or now the vinyl, you know, or now the flack wave high uh, res file, yeah, you know, when it comes in. Flack, yeah. yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm also having fun doing some other business ventures as well. And those are fun as well. So that's cool. Yeah. I, I would say too, just to go back earlier, I, I think, uh, when we moved out to Seattle in 2001, there was, we had heard some horror stories from bands, you know, and I won't even name them, but I, I think we were under the impression, I was like, man, we won't ever sign a tooth and nail, you know, no matter what. Then like, why and, did you? And, and <laughs> going back to us being copy, being cocky, I think we thought, no way. And then there were some, uh, you know, there was definitely other label interest. Even after we ended up signing with Tooth and Nail, I remember uh, it was like Tony Victory called some. Uh, it's hilarious. Even in 2001, yep, it was just a phone right. number. He called, Devin answered, and it was <laughs> Tony, Tony Vitter. Yeah. He's like, oh, hey, Tony, how's it going? He's like, you guys signed yet? We got your demo. We'd love to sign you. And Devin was like, actually, we signed with Tooth and Nail. He was like, oh, have fun selling Christ on a cross. And he hung up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then we, uh, J- uh, John from Deep Elm, he was like, we sent him our stuff. And he th- he said, we definitely want to sign you guys. Hey, like, we were, at least we were on the right track. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we, we had John from Deep Elm called us, too, and he, and he said – uh, we told him, it was like, well, you know, Tooth and Nail's interested. And he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Either you want to go with somebody like Tooth and Nail or you want to go with somebody like us. But that's two <laughs> different things, and you need to decide which yeah, you one. Need to which decide. Well, yeah, we're but, Steve Elm now. But, but my point is, <laughs> but, but my point is, I – it was uh, the best decision we can make, man. I, I really do believe, well, like, like, like we have never felt like you guys ever pressured us or tried to screw us. Or anything, we really felt like, hey, man, you like what you've been saying. I believe is true. Like, you wanted to, you liked our band, you wanted to put it out, yep. and that's the way we've always felt. So, I mean, even though we're not on your label anymore, <laughs> that's a different reason we're putting out you our know, own music. You know, the reason now. that we Christian, do but. Bad Christian and what we want to do is not at all because we don't care about or don't like Tooth and Nail. It's because we think Tooth and Nail is so awesome, and what you guys had done is so inspiring to us that we we just want to do it too. That's the, that's like the way we look at what we are trying to do, and hey. I don't even think we're competitive with you guys in in that sense. Like we're just doing a, a very small thing, but we've we've seen you just put out music and do what you love and believe, and you and us are good buddies and pals, and we just kind of are inspired by you. Is the way I would I would, and that it. makes me want you guys to do it even more. I mean, I've probably had. I'm trying to think about this now, like emails and things that I've had come through. Probably like 15 people have been married from Tooth & Nail Records, like meeting. Probably like seven or eight record labels yep. have been started for Tooth & Nail Records. Yeah. Bands have gone on and done different things. I'm all about that. Like, yeah. To me, I mean, Amberlynn are some of my best friends, right? They actually came back to Tooth & Nail for their last album. Yep. They were on Universal for three albums. Jason Martin from Starflyer, we talked every single week. I put out 18 of his records. This last one, he did it on his own. Great. Trevor Trevor from Thousand Foot Crutch, yep. one of my super good friends. He's indie. You know, whether he ever does another record on Tooth & Nail, it doesn't matter. To me, it's all about the, the relationships and the people. 
if I sign someone for a four or five album contract, I just want them to do what we agreed upon. Right. And then after that, it's like, hey, if you want to resign with us, great. Yep. Jeremy Camp resigned with me. Cutlass has resigned with me. Starflyer at the time resigned with me multiple times. Resigned under oath. You know, I've resigned many bands. There's also been bands that I've never resigned, like Norma Jean, Thousand of a Crutch, you know. But to me, I hold no, I'm not this guy where yeah. it's like, if you don't resign with yeah. me. To me, it's all about the people and the relationships and contracts. Well, obviously, contracts. I mean, we're we're good friends now. You and I live in the same neighborhood, and we hang yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, five years from now, home. you could come over and like hang out with me, and I would never bat an eye. You know what I mean? It's like. But we thank you just for being uh, even inspiring to us to, to be able to, to to move forward and do hey, it because of the stuff it, that you've and, you done know, and pioneered. We, I hope we that Christian goes on to that. be huge, and you know, that's never been my philosophy. If you don't have a pay it forward attitude in the music biz, like, hey, I mean. If you guys go on and sell 300,000 records on your own or do whatever you do and you take my bands on tour, we have a good friendship, whatever. I mean, it all comes back one way or another. Yeah. It's all about people. So right now. I feel like you guys entrusted us with your albums that we had and we did as best we could. You know, the question did better than the others, but we gave an equal effort to all of them. I yeah. mean, that's just really what it is. So it's like um, I've even had people on staff that are like, oh, August Burns Red went to Fearless. And I'm like, well, that, you know, that was what they thought they should do. We gave them a great offer, and they feel like Fearless is in the pocket for Warp Tour, and it makes sense for them. But we're still really good friends. There's no weirdness, you know. Where it gets weird is when someone like you know, which is very rare, wants to like break contract or do something like yeah. that. That's when it gets weird. Well, I think well, that's, that's the, that's the, the biggest the business, thing is we've never but. had a contract problem. Like anything we've ever had to talk about, all we had to do was talk about it, and we figure it out. Yeah, and that continues to be the way it is. So thank you for being our friend. Thank you for pioneering. The punk rock, Christian, indie, whatever it is that you've done has been massive. I think you didn't set out to do it, but I think you've made a large impact in Christian culture and been a big sure. inspiration to bad Christians. So we thank you for pioneering that and and being leading to us. And we just we kind of want to emulate that in, in a lot of ways. So thanks for being on our show. It's an honor to us. Right, Joey? Yeah, definitely. Big time. Yeah. Well, I'm so it's to be here, so. way more of an honor for me mainly than to Joey. these guys yeah yeah <laughs> make sure you check out the book what's the book called again no new kind right. of story yeah should we can we promote that a little let's bit? do it yeah. yep i'm looking at it right now and it, i mean i would say for those of you that are old school tooth and nail fans like me it's like a must have but i would say for those of you that just started liking tooth and nail it's a must have so here's the thing so the book <laughs> the book is a labor of love it's a physical you know, medium, which, you know, some people might not appreciate, but it's a, it's a cool book, coffee table book, high quality stock, paper stock. There's a thousand made and it documents the whole history of Tooth and Nail. You could also buy it with the Blu-ray or DVD or check out the movie at some point online. And it's just a history of what we've done. And it's uh, for the ultimate fan. All the profits, if there are any profits, will go to Music Cares, which is an organization that's run by the Grammys. And I'm uh -huh. on the Grammy board here in Seattle. Nice. And, uh, I really believe in them because they give money to artists directly in America yeah. and help artists with health care or, um, hey, if you're an artist right now and you're on the road and you get all your stuff stolen, you don't have insurance, you can fill out a form, go to Music Cares, and, you know, they may or they may be able to help you. Um, and if we don't make any money on the book, that's fine. I'm making a donation to Music Cares anyway, but it's pretty cool for the ultimate fan. We're only making a thousand of them ever. And I'm probably going to give away four or five hundred of them anyway. So <laughs> we already got one, one before it's yeah. too late. And how about the uh, the documentary movie? Yeah, the documentary is really cool. It's um, I think it's real real. It's uh, 
we interviewed, we did so many hours of interviews and went through so many different edits and the director couldn't figure out what he wanted to do. So in the end of the day, the documentary was mostly about the 90s and how I got a loan from my grandfather. He believed in me when no one else would, started the label. We almost went out of business a couple times. MXPX blew up. They left the label. We almost went out of business again. And in the end of the story, Supertones kind of saved the day. And it's kind of a short window of the label, but then... If you really think about what went down with the record label and the fact that the Supertones blew up right when MXPX was kind of leaving, it's kind of almost a serendipitous story where then you wouldn't have had Under Oath and Emery and Amber Lynn and Thousand of a Crutch and all the Jeremy Camp and all these bands. So, you know, it's it's such a different time now, right? I mean, I can pretty much with confidence say that if I didn't sign MXPX, they probably wouldn't be where they were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, in this day and age, you don't really know. Like, yeah. You could have popped up a song and could have got a TV commercial. It's just a different era. But back then, I took chances on bands, lost a ton of money on artists, and the ones that worked worked, and the ones that didn't didn't. And it was, you know, it's been a fun ride. So, well, thank you for being such a big part of our story. Thank you, Brandon, for being on the show. And everybody, pick up new, no new kind of story. The book, check it out. It's fun. And the website is no new kind of story dot com. And they can they get it from Tooth and Nail Records too if they forget. Yeah, just that, go to so. Tooth and Nail Records, click on the merch store. Awesome. Right on. Thank you, Brandon. It's been an honor. We'll talk to you soon. Well, that was fun. Matt, you've known Brandon for a good while now, huh? Yeah, Brandon Brandon is somebody that I have been friends with and uh, business related with for, you know, I guess over 10 10 years now. And even since that we're not on tooth and nail anymore, we still still text and even hang out here and then, here and again. So, yeah. I see, he lives Aww. in my neighborhood. We live right down the street, so I, I see him a good bit. Brandon, thanks for my free book, man. I really do like it, the the coffee table thing. Everybody needs to go out and get it. It's good. Yeah. So, yep. yeah. Yep. At, once again, to reiterate, no new kind of store. You can get that from com or their merch line store. We really do want everybody to, to buy that, to watch the DVD and buy that book. It's an awesome thing. If it means anything at all to you, the Tooth and Nail and its story, then you will really enjoy it. So go for it. All right, guys. After that long interview, I only have – one thing that I want to give you, one last well, thing like I'd what? Like, to like give. what would it be? You have like well, a, I want to give you one story. Oh, just story. One, yeah, I want to give you one news story. Oh, a news this, story. Yes, it's just going to kind of like seal this podcast episode together, kind of pull it all together, and just seal it, kind of you know, just with a something true and something real. Is that cool? Uh, this it sounds like it hits the spot to me. So let's yep. do it. All right, I just got in a bad mood. In a world where your best friend is literally committing suicide by pizza. My name, <laughs> <laughs> my name is Toby Morell, and I'm here with the news. Uh, since I only have time for one news segment this this podcast episode, I wanted to pick one because we, we talk about porn a lot. You know, we even talked about it at the beginning of this episode. So uh, I thought this was kind of an interesting story from AP. Convicted murderer sues state prison <coughs> over porn ban. Uh, a convicted murderer sentenced to more than half a century behind bars is suing the state of Connecticut, saying its ban on, pornograph- on pornography in prison violates his constitutional rights. His name is Dwight Pink Jr., and he's 44 years old. Okay. Uh, <coughs> and he says that the lawsuit was filed at the U.S. District Court in July, and... Uh, 
that the guards have used the policy to deny him an art book, the Atlas of Foreshortening, which uses nude models to help show how to draw the human form. Pink says the ban is a violation of his free speech rights, rights and serves no meaningful objective in prison. The state filed its response Monday saying Pink has not been harmed by the ban and none of his rights were violated. An injury or harm, if any, was caused solely by the plaintiff's own acts, omissions, and conduct and was not due to any wrongful conduct by the defendants. So basically he's just saying that he wants to be able to change this. He's in jail for, what, 50 years, and he wants to be able to see new women uh, or maybe, you know, this would probably be the open. It's He's saying it's starting with just drawing nudes, but I'm, I'm assuming his goal would be eventually just to have pornography in prison. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Well, is now, it, is it not just... Is it not is it not possible that he's just trying to do art and then that what is his case is legitimate that he that the way to do art and the human body it's not necessarily pornographic or you think that's just his angle? It I mean it doesn't say but I mean the the truth is uh, I, I mean he could just be drawing but I mean if you commit a crime I mean I can I think that's kind of the, it says uh, a judge a judge uh, in 2012 refused to issue a preliminary injunction allowing inmate. Okov Ortiz uh, to possess magazines like Playboy. Although prison, and the, and the judge said, although prisoners do not forfeit all of their constitutional rights upon incar- incarceration, the fact of incarceration and the needs of the prison system impose limitations on prisoners' constitutional yeah. rights and even those derived from the First Amendment. And I, that's what I'm saying. I mean, if they want to, I think, yeah, just say no. I mean, it sucks, but don't commit a crime if you want to draw nudes, you know? But at the same time, I go, wow. I mean, if you don't if you don't care about porn being right or wrong, I mean, if you're just a guy in prison, I mean, your sexual options are pretty limited. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. either. <laughs> so is the question whether or not the jails should allow it? Yeah, what do you guys think? Well, the question really is what rights do you forfeit? What rights do you not forfeit from being a incarcerated or a felon or a murderer? And I think that that's a interesting question and that you could have a lot of different answers. There could be somebody that happens to be in jail for some reason and how much of their, it's not like you'd throw out all their right human or constitutional rights just because they happen to be in some phase right. of the penal system, right? So you can't just say, oh, if you've done something bad, then you're in jail and screw you no matter what. That can't be, that's that's a... Yeah. You, well, well, Matt, like even going back to our conversation on like uh, marijuana or things that people don't think are wrong, that some people do. I mean, do you think it would hurt the prison system? I don't know if other prisons allow pornography or not, but do you think it would hurt a prison to allow pornography in it? Or, it well, or I don't. I don't know. It may, but it's the same as kids in elementary school aren't allowed to, let's say, bring in and sell and trade Airhead candies. I know that right. because I tried to do that when I was in school. They say you can't do that. <laughs> so you, you know, there's certain things that, it, but it certainly was my constitutional right to have candy or sell it or buy it or you know what I mean to do those kinds of things. So, you know, there are limits imposed by having the system itself run correctly, and that's what the warden or the the judge in this case said. He said there are some limits to your constitutional rights based on the system just to make it run right but that couldn't be everything right you don't have a right to be tortured or no food or you know right. those things are 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 there well one thing i i know and i have to owe this to toby is i'm really glad we're talking about this right now <laughs> what what are you saying what are you saying i just 
I really think that was that. A really dumb. If you get to choose one story, this is what you choose. I didn't choose it. The truth chose it. <laughs> so if you don't like the truth, is that what you're saying? Okay, wait a second. Like this story out of the millions of stories there are, how did, how did Mr. Truth <laughs> choose it? <laughs> did you just open your computer and that was what was on your computer? You, I Mother mean, Nature told you to do this? Thank God there's triple X on your computer. <laughs> on my computer, there's truth. Matt, are you even there? Yeah, I'm here. I don't know what to say. Uh, you know, I don't know how to else. Can you say one nice thing about my news? Not Have you ever heard that? If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Can you say one nice thing about my news, please? Say something nice about Russell Wilson. Uh, <laughs> I don't even, I, I, I don't care about Russell Wilson. You can't do it. I, okay. Ever since the fail He's Mary, nice looking. ever since the fail Mary, I don't like the Seattle Seahawks no matter what. And yeah, I, I, what can I say nice about? It? Yeah, he's a nice looking guy. He's really nice looking. He's very a great athlete. Okay, well I I can say positive things about your news in general, but not tonight. Because <laughs> yeah. you, why can't you, you say it tonight? You had an opportunity and you blew it. I didn't blow it. Yeah, there, how many stories could you have chosen for one news story and you chose? A dude drawing naked pictures in jail. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? One story? All I you have to do is pick one story. We talk about pornography on this podcast a good amount, and I thought it was a good yeah, topic. Like, like, if, what if it what was are the other stories, Toby, that you declined to report on in favor of this one? I mean, Mark yeah. Driscoll, for well, crying I, out loud. We don't have time for those big ones. I was trying to do a short one because this is a long podcast. What about Matthew McConaughey saying to keep the Redskins logo? That's you said, we've talked about the Redskins a bunch. Yeah, we didn't talk about Matthew How McConaughey. He's the most, who cares what Matthew McConaughey thinks about? He's the nicest looking person on the planet. But that's not like so much better <laughs> that Matthew McConaughey thinks that the Redskins logo is cool. Why is that so much better than talking about pornography in prison? So you just ruined your own point. And I didn't. I, you ruined I, this podcast I, episode. Brandon Abel's interview I was very sucks close to talking about news another story. news story that was about marijuana soda I'm bottles in, exploding in Washington. Shop. I'm embarrassed and ashamed to even have this news story sharing air with Brandon Abel, who is way better than your news. He doesn't belong in the same category, and it makes me sad. <laughs> this is the saddest podcast ending ever. I just don't appreciate it. It's just I think your attitude's really, really bad. Oh, damn, somebody's here. Oh. Uh, hey man, I got ten pizzas. Is that Neil? Hey Neil, what's up, dude? You here with? Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> these things are getting look, looking heavy, dude. Can I, help me out here, man. Joey, help him get the pizza. <laughs> help him get him the, the pizza. Pizza. Neil, I'm sorry. Man, I got two full two liters here too, man. Come on, let's do this. <laughs> okay, okay, that'll be thirty-five seventy-nine. Don't jip me on the tip again, Neil. I am so sorry, dude. I don't know why. Joey <laughs> I don't know why Joey jipped you last time. Joey, how did you get that pizza in your mouth already? Hey, you guys are like recording some kind of podcast or something? <laughs> <laughs> this, this is out of control. <laughs>